1: From the Derek Duval Productions bunker, it's Derek Duvall.
2: Hey, hello, hi there. Hey guys. Hey, hello. Thank you. Thanks. Please, please sit down. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Please, thank you. Damn, this virtual audience is awesome. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Derek Duval Show. I am Derek. This is episode 51. Man, all right. man. so much going on the last few days. I went to see the Tulsa Athletic Football Club play the FC Tulsa the other night, and man, was that a good time. Very rare to see the football fan in me, but it was great to be out there with the fans, singing the fight songs, giving hell to the opposing side. Apparently, we raised so much hell, you could hear us on the ESPN Plus broadcast. Anyway, Tulsa Athletic fell goal short, but I tell you, that was a hell of a good game. Watched a great movie the other night. We caught The Atom Project on Netflix, and man, was it a great film. I won't say too much, as we're going to go do another Derek and Mindy's fun with movies about it, but I hope you will all tune in for that. It is a great movie. Go out and check it yourself. So, welcome to episode 51. We have a very special episode tonight featuring three amazing guests. In the first part of our program, we have Dr. Mark Pimentel and Dr. Ali Razai two incredible doctors leading the charge to understanding gut health. They'll be discussing healthy eating and their new book, The Microbiome Connection, Your Guide to IBS, SIBO, and Low Fermentation Eating. Trust me, I learned a lot, and myself and Mrs. Duvall are going to be taking a good look at what we eat, and we're going to make some healthy choices. Then, in the second part of our program, we have dietitian, an ally of the good doctors we just mentioned. Robin Berlin is on the show. She'll be discussing making healthy eating choices, including educating me on the Mediterranean diet. She is releasing her companion cookbook, The Good LFE Cookbook, on the same day. Duval Nation, let's just get to it. It's a jam-packed episode, so let's not keep the good doctors waiting. Duval Nation, rise to your feet. A welcome all the way from Los Angeles, California, Dr. Mark Pimentel and Dr. Ali Razai. Doctors, welcome to the Dark of All Show. How has the weather been out by the both of you today?
1: Oh, it's, it's amazing. It's California.
2: Man, I miss California. I lived in San Diego for five years, and it is definitely, especially now that I'm older, it is a climate that I could just get used to all year round.
1: Yeah, it rained once in the last two months, and that happened to be yesterday. So, uh,
3: <laughs> gotta love the sunshine. Nice. Yeah, both of us are from Canada, so this weather... Uh, amazes me every day. Mm -hmm.
2: Well, I was originally from Great Britain, so I have some semblance of understanding of what that might be like.
3: You mean mean
1: the sense of it has sunshine one day and three months? Correct. (laughs) (laughs) So
2: I always start my interviews off with the same question, and based on your professions, this question might hit a little bit differently. How has it been for the two of you to navigate the COVID-19 pandemic?
1: Oh, you go first, because... You've oh, been the, you just got off service, so you've been in the
3: thick of it lately. That's that's true. I guess I break it down into three pieces: the personal part, which I guess uh, all of us uh, have been having the, our own challenges, and then the clinical side and research side. On the clinical side, obviously the problem uh, has been the load of the patients that have uh, we we saw at the beginning. We as gastroenterologists putting our internal medicine hats on and going back to. ICUs, and also clinical units to take care of COVID patients. Uh, and, and after that patients who did not seek medical help coming back and dealing with the uh, uh, load of patients that were uh, coming through. Uh, so that has been uh, another uh, challenge. And obviously now with the most recent challenges that healthcare workers are getting sick. So the shortage of staff, so clinically has been uh, one challenge after another, but so far We have been going through them Uh, from the research standpoint. Obviously, one issue that happened is that with COVID, a lot of clinical trials had to be shut down and uh, we had to re-navigate the way we do research. We did a lot of research in the field of COVID as well. Actually, we found amazing things about ultraviolet light, how it affects COVID and it helps. Uh, And so uh, it has been uh, challenging, but quite rewarding. Uh, in terms of what has been going on from the research standpoint.
1: Yeah, I echo that. Uh, I think the COVID-19 has really thrown many curveballs at us. But I think Ali sp- spoke to the, most of what I feel. I, I think what we're hoping is that this Omicron wave is the final wave because it swept through so quickly and maybe we're done. You know, we're we're trying to pray that that's the case.
2: You know, it's funny. I've been doing this show for over two years and I've asked that question on every interview I've recorded. And the other day, a close friend of mine brought it up to me that if Omicron is truly the beginning of the end for COVID, which God, I hope it is, uh, what he asked me, he goes, what are you going to ask as your first question going forward? And I truly don't have a clue what question I am going to ask going forward. It's always fun to start at the beginning. Where in Canada are you both from? And what was it like to grow up there?
1: Well, for me, it was a town called Thunder Bay, Ontario, about 100,000 people, so a smallish city. Moved to a larger city, and then I moved to a very large city, Los Angeles. But I trained, did all my medical training, except for a fellowship in gastroenterology in Canada. So very familiar with the Canadian healthcare system, and also uh, still a fan of a lot of the Canadian uh, hockey teams.
3: I'm from Calgary, uh, and I did training in Edmonton as well, and then after that, uh, I moved down to Los Angeles about uh, eight years ago. Yes, Canadian hockey is in our blood, although Mark and I cheer for different teams.
2: (laughs) You know what's funny, about seven or eight years ago, I went to my first hockey game and it was a lower league team here in Tulsa, Oklahoma, affiliated with the Anaheim Ducks called the Oilers. Uh, It was fun, great times. Well, it is
1: fun. It's a little different in Los Angeles though. We go to the games and there's, you know, blimps floating around and everything like that and a canadian hockey game in canada it's will you get into a fight or not in the audience a little different kind of show actually you get more uh, action in the audience than you do on the ice sometimes
2: at what age do you both decide you wanted to pursue a career in medicine
3: i'm not going to give you the uh, cliche that i i always wanted to help people out but uh, it's in in high school i i really enjoyed biology geology and Botany. Um, So the path that I chose was medicine. And as I started uh, to get into uh, medical school and read about it, obviously I got more and more interested, uh, got interested about how to uh, treat patients. And eventually when I ended up in uh, the field of gastroenterology, mostly because it's a very good amalgamation of procedures, because we do a lot of exciting things with endoscopes. Um, I'm not going to go into detail but uh, we and also a lot of um, good things on the medical side in terms of uh, treating mysterious diseases and also trying to decipher diseases that are hard to treat and diagnose. Yeah, for me,
1: medicine, I always wanted to be a doctor. Uh, and uh, I, don't, I don't know why, it was just an aspiration of mine. Maybe some medical illnesses in the family contributed to that. But uh, yeah, gastroenterology, I, I knew very early that GI was the center of the universe. I mean, an earthworm has a digestive tract that doesn't have a heart. So yeah. the digestive tract is the most evolved, most interesting organ in the human body and that's where I wanted to study.
2: Between the two of you, you have University of Alberta, Calgary and Manitoba. Do you both have any fun memories from your time there?
1: Oh gosh. Lots. <laughs> it's med school. Uh, and, and college. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of fond memories. I mean, look, the the winters are cold and you got to do a lot of indoor activities unless you ski, which I do also. Uh, the summers are infested with mosquitoes. So you try to golf, but mostly you're running to avoid the mosquitoes. So a lot, yeah, a lot of hobbies and a, a lot of exciting things at that time
3: yeah lots lots of good memories i can i don't even know what to mention i mean as to the time that you do dragon boating in edmonton that's you know for that two months that you're you're able to go into the the river that is not frozen and but there are mosquitoes everywhere and you come back raw uh, all the way to the time that uh, for halloween uh, you do the uh, the old school Bob crawls, um, but it's minus 20 degrees uh, already. So it's all those memories are always fun.
2: Nice. How exactly did the two of you first meet?
3: Oh, that's this
1: is a funny, it's actually a funny story. Um, so Dr. Razai was in Calgary and he was looking to do a fellowship, uh, an extra fellowship in motility or training the study of the movement of the gut. So he calls me up and he says, I'm thinking of, uh, you know, coming down to do your program and I said okay and I said he said he said but I'd like to come down and I said well why he says I want to interview you so he wanted to interview me for our program as opposed to me interviewing him for our program and then in the end he interviewed two places the Mayo Clinic and us and he said by far our program was better and he came and he was a star and we hired him as faculty after he finished his one year of motility fellowship
3: the, that is definitely top three decisions, mm-hmm. good decisions that I've made in my life. Now, you're, you're going to ask about the other two. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm curious now. <laughs> Past.
2: <laughs> ah, you both have quite distinguished backgrounds. Dr. Razai, over 100 peer reviewed articles. And Dr. Pimentel, you run a very successful research lab with one of its most notable accomplishments being the creation of a blood test that can detect IBS. I guess the big question here is, how do you both stay so grounded?
1: <laughs> well, humor. We're Again, we're Canadian, so sarcasm, <laughs> humor. You're British. It's the same thing. It's Benny Hill every night is what gets us going. But but no, no, we do have a sense of humor. We don't take ourselves seriously. We take the research seriously. We don't take ourselves seriously. I think if you're going to do research to help humans, if you don't put the patient in the center of the room, you're not doing it for the right reasons. And so it's never about us. It's never been about us. It's been about what are we gonna do to make this disease better that nobody understands How are we going to diagnose this disease that nobody understands? What is causing this disease that nobody understands? And, you know, so in the end, if we've helped a few people with our research, that's the most important thing.
2: All right. So let's get on with the good stuff. The microbiome connection. Please break this down for my listeners to easily understand. Uh,
3: So the curiosity about microbiome uh, goes around that there is a collection of fungi, uh, bacteria, archaea and viruses that are living inside our gut and they live in close connection with each other. They have a very close knit network with each other. And on top of that, they are communicating constantly and affecting us on a constant basis uh, that is um, a uh, structurally leads to health and disease. And that is quite uh, complicated. If you think about it, us have a set of genes, and uh, we know what we produce, and we uh, what uh, most the uh, most of the physiology is relatively well defined. But each bacteria, each microorganism has its own uh, function and uh, genetic set and metabolomics, which means that what they produce. So now finding out how they communicate with each other and how they connect with us, that's what makes the microbiome, a very fascinating and novel field uh, that is uh, opening up a lot of uh, mysteries in medicine that uh, we have been unable to answer. But the other thing,
1: you know, 15 years ago, the microbiome term wasn't even existing until 2003 because, you know, we knew there were bacteria, but we didn't know how much of a role they played. The NIH funded this, what's called the Human Microbiome Project, and they studied the bacteria all over your body including the stool and they said aha look this is what the stool looks like this is what the gut looks like and we we were like uh, no the, that's what the stool looks like that's not what the small intestine looks like so our focus has been on the small intestine the small intestine is 15 feet of everything you absorb in your day comes from there you will absorb the food you will absorb the chemicals the bacteria produce the colon, you could take it out and you can survive. You don't need your colon. So the small bowel is the most important part for the microbiome. And that's, we're one of the first groups in the world to start studying that. And that we've gotten a tremendous amount of interesting answers there.
2: What is SIBO? So my listeners will understand the terminology going forward.
1: So SIBO is stands for small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. And it means that you have an increase in the amount of bacteria in your small intestine where it shouldn't be. So imagine you eat a meal, and the meal's going through and you're getting the food, it's for you. you, you did the work, you got the meal, you don't want to share it with the bacteria of the gut. But if there's too much bacteria in the small intestine, they're eating the food alongside you. So what does that do? Well, it creates gas and bloating because they're producing all sorts of gas. And secondly, depending upon the type of bacteria or composition of the microbiome, you could be either constipated or diarrhea. And then that creates all those symptoms uh, that these SIBO patients suffer with.
2: So the book is The Microbiome Connection. Where did the idea for the book come from?
1: Patients. I wrote an original book, 2006, I think it was. And then patients were demanding from both of us, you know, let's get an update because, you know, one of the problems in medicine, especially with irritable bowel syndrome, is irritable bowel syndrome is an enigmatic disease or had been, and we found that small intestinal bacterial overgrowth was the cause of IBS in about 60% of cases, uh, but patients still struggle with doctors who are uh, undereducated on this topic, and so the book is to empower the patient and to educate the doctor, so it's written in a way that either could benefit from this book. Very
2: interesting. Very interesting. Um, Can you please explain the benefits of low fermentation eating and what sort of changes would an ordinary average person have to make to implement that diet?
3: So the way uh, Dr. Pimentel mentioned what SIBO is, so that's overpopulation of the bacteria inside the small bowel. So low fermentation eating is to eat food that are not as uh, digestible for the bacteria as other foods. So that makes the uh, environment for the bacteria uh, less favorable. So it doesn't allow them to uh, populate as fast as they can. Uh, And that uh, leads to suppression of their uh, overpopulation. And that helps uh, with the symptoms uh, eventually. But it's easy to go out there and put patients on the most restrictive diet that you can think of. Uh, let's say like put them on rice and chicken and nothing else, but that's also defeats the purpose of helping the patients because now you're putting, put put them on a diet that is extremely restrictive and is affecting their social life. So what we have learned over the last several years with treating thousands of patients and with tweaking around with different food, with different uh, recipes and different food items what works the best for patients with bacterial overgrowth to get uh, a control of their uh, microbiome with uh, this uh, low fermentation eating. And that's the part that we have dedicated several chapters uh, in the book about it.
1: Yeah, and low fermentation eating isn't only about the composition of the diet. Mm-hmm. So if you go back thousands of years, you know, you killed the buffalo, you ate the buffalo, you didn't have a refrigerator, so you can't keep it for more than that day. Uh, the buzzards get the rest, and then you wait it two days before you eat. So it's important that when you eat, you eat, and then you don't eat for a period of time, and then you eat, and you don't eat for a period of time, because you need time to, for the gut to clean itself between meals. So that's another co- very important component of the low-fermentation eating. But the other thing, think about it today. Today, we're not eating a buffalo every two days, sharing it amongst 20 people. Where We have potato chips. We have snacks. Everything contains artificial sugars, which the bacteria love. You get zero calories. This is this is confusing to me. So they say no sugar. It is sugar. It's just not sugar you get calories from. But the bacteria are getting sucralose. Sucralose is like glucose for bacteria. Uh, you just don't absorb it. So you're giving them a party every day, but you're not getting the sugar. So yeah, it is zero calories, 100% bloating for you. And so we, we give sort of guidelines on what not to eat to try and correct that.
2: What do you feel has been the major drawback to the majority of the population's diet ongoing during this pandemic?
3: That's a great question, because uh, obviously one issue has been uh, a lot of uh, patients uh, that's and also us as well because they have we have to make uh, uh you have to make big changes in what we eat and what we have access to so that's one thing in fact this is to a point uh, that we have done research that even the microbiome not just a diet is responding during a pandemic time because of the diet that has been changing in the last couple of years and there are dramatic changes that we're going to present at data in uh in a conference that is coming up uh and uh it's it's amazing how things have changed and how habits of eating have changed in the last couple of years and we will see its effect in the coming years
1: yeah uh, but i will say one thing is interesting
3: is that people
1: when they follow our, our our diet recommendations they do it so much better during the pandemic because they're cooking their own food because they're not eating out mm-hmm. and they were actually following food correctly and eating healthier in, in, in the long run. So when you eat at a restaurant, and you say, is there butter in there? Or is there something in there, dairy in there? And, and they say, no. Is it really true? You don't really know. It's a sauce. And, and now they do everything at home. And inevitably, I've seen some patients doing much better at home.
2: Besides the release of the book in April, are you both planning on collaborating on any other projects in the future?
3: Oh, boy we have <laughs> I can't even count uh because you know at any given time uh in our lab which has uh, 30 um staff we have active 40 to 50 projects uh so there is no shortage of uh projects both and, and essentially 95 percent of these projects are focused on microbiome and uh, small intestinal okay. vector overgrowth uh just to push the field forward whether in the, in terms of diagnosis in terms of treatment in terms of causality of uh, how uh, bacterial overgrowth happens in different uh, types of uh, animal models and humans uh and also even doing studies at the clinical uh, trial level or even population-based studies so uh, we are keeping uh, multiple projects on board and throwing a very wide net to um, decipher small intestinal bacterial growth further and helping patients. Yeah, we're quite ambitious.
2: Wow. A lot of very exciting things coming down the pipeline then.
3: So. Yeah, a lot of new
1: things. I, I think you know, you're know you going to hear some of the stuff in the news in the coming months because it's some of the stuff we're doing is groundbreaking, even on other topics of the microbiome.
2: And that's why I love science so much. Okay. As we begin to wind things down, what would be the best way for my listeners to follow your research online?
1: I'm on Instagram and Facebook, but Twitter is where I post a lot of, my, uh, of the latest stuff from the lab. So, at Mark Pimentel MD is, uh, is my handle.
3: Same with me. Twitter I'm most active uh, on, and my handle is Ali Razai MD. Excellent.
2: Excellent. Okay. I end my interviews with my favorite question. The question is this, if the entire planet was listening to this broadcast, or would be the one thing you would want to say to the people of Earth? And either one of you can
1: go first. Oh, Mark, you're going first or I'm going first? Unless you go first. I need more time to
3: think. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I would say no matter how hard the naysayers try, science will prevail. Nice.
1: I would say aliens exist. <laughs> Love it. And, and the Hubble, and the new space telescope is going to tell us.
2: The book is Microbiome Connection, Your Guide to IBS, SIBO, and Low Fermentation Eating. Available April the 12th on Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, or wherever books are sold. Doctors, thank you both for taking the time to come on the show today. I know you are both incredibly busy. This has been absolutely amazing, and thank you for being so generous with your time.
1: Thank you. That was really
3: fun. Thanks Thanks again.
2: Best of luck to the both of you, okay?
3: Okay. Thank you so much, Derek. All right. Yeah. Bye-bye.
2: Okay, Deval Nation, we're going to go ahead and take a bit of a break. This gives you a chance to do some nice, big, deep stretches. Refill that drink and do some of those nice, big, deep breaths. You know, Cluzo style.
1: Out with the bad air, in with the good. Out with the bad air, in with the good.
2: Check out two allies of my show, And then we will be right back.
0: Hey, everyone. I am Chris. And I'm Christine. And we do a podcast about life, love, and hot topics. We're family friendly. Yeah, well, mostly. And you can catch us every week.
1: So subscribe to The Chris and Christine Show on your favorite streaming service.
0: And buckle up, Buttercup, because you're in for some fun. Some fun? Oh, yeah. That sounds fantastic.
1: Thanks, buddy. Thanks. Want a ride? Sure. Got a helmet? A helmet? What are you? Some kind of wimp?
0: No, I just... Uh, uh. Jonathan's just using common sense. Beachhead. Cross country. That was a close call. You all right? Yeah,
3: thanks.
1: These ATVs have as much power as a real motorcycle. You gotta respect them.
3: And
0: wear helmets for protection. Now Now we we know.
1: know. And no one is half the battle.
2: G.I. Joe!
1: Welcome to the podcast that wouldn't die. I'm your host, Kevin. With me, as always, is Aaron. What up, what up? Each week, we'll explore the classics of the horror and sci-fi genre with a little comedic twist. We will ask those important questions like, why don't they get out of the haunted house the first time they see the ghost or the demon? Why do people feel like, hey, there's been a spooky disappearance, but I'm going to investigate myself, even though I have no investigative background? Or, why didn't I realize I was dead the whole time? These important questions and many others we will get to the bottom of. So check us out each week at the podcast that wouldn't die. Be there
3: or be square.
2: Okay, Deval Nation, welcome back to episode 51. Man, I told you those doctors were awesome. We need to keep having Canadians on this show. I am sure I can pull the numbers, but I'm curious how many guests from Canada... I've had on this show. Let's not waste any more time on thinking about that, though. Let's get our next guest out here. Duval Nation, rise to your feet again. And welcome to the show also from Los Angeles, California, acclaimed dietitian and author, Robin Berlin. Robin, good evening. Welcome to the show. How has the weather been out there today?
0: Hi, thank you for having me. I'm in Los Angeles. I just came in from sitting outside catching uh, some beautiful sunshine. So it's about 75 and gorgeous.
2: I always start my interviews with the same question, and that is, how hard has it been for you to navigate this crazy COVID-19 world?
0: Honestly, navigating the COVID world for the last two and a half years, it's been challenging at times, but thankfully, my professional world. Um, skyrocketed for good, bad, or indifferent. Um, So many people needed help navigating how to eat during COVID. All my clients went to Zoom, and I was teaching them how to do things such as stocking the refrigerator and pantries in ways that they had never had to think of before or learning how to cook meals for families. Maybe more family members came home than had previously been home for a while. And so in that regards, professionally, I got super busy Um, Additionally, everyone was incredibly anxious, um, and I was able to use some of my training skills as a dietitian and behavior modification mindful eating to try to stay focused on eating mindfully and keeping their immune system strong. So in that way, I was able to really use some of the skills, and one of my passions is to help people live healthier lives, and, and during a very difficult time for so many people, I was able to, I hope, help a lot of people in that regard.
2: Man, that's awesome. It's always fun to start at the beginning. Where are you originally from, and what was it like to grow up there?
0: I'm native, believe it or not. So I was born and raised in the San Fernando Valley in a place called Sherman Oaks. So I have never lived anywhere else, although I wanted to for college, but uh, I <laughs> stayed I stayed local at UCLA, um, no regrets, and I now live in the city. Growing up here was a great place. We're, we're a bit spoiled as we started beginning with the weather, but it's, it's a great place to be from and a great place to continue living and raise my two grown daughters here.
2: At what age did you decide to pursue your current career path? I know you mentioned UCLA a moment ago. Do you have any fun memories from your time there?
0: Oh, yeah. Um, I graduated UCLA doing something totally different than I do now. I was in mass media communications and I worked in advertising and public relations and was headed completely in that degree, um, loving it. And then at around 25, I injured my back. I've always been athletic. And I've always wanted to help people. Um, That's to my core. And when I was recovering from my back injury, I thought, hmm, I've always been interested in nutrition. I've always been athletic. And when I was recovering, I was trying to think, hmm, how could um, that great quote from Hippocrates, let food be thy medicine and let medicine be thy food. And I went back to graduate school to get my degree in nutritional sciences. And when I work with my clients one-on-one, which is what I do most days, I combine both that undergraduate degree of communication and then the nutritional degree and help people, whether it's eating healthy or the niche I created of gut health.
2: That's impressive. As I know many who never use their degree choice, but it looks like you have it pretty figured out.
0: You know, I got lucky and that I did figure it out and I was fortunate enough to be able to go back to school and, and love, love, love what I do.
2: How did the introduction and collaboration come about with Dr. Pimentel and Dr. Rezai?
0: So I've known Dr. Pimentel for 20 plus years. And then when Dr. Rezai came to Cedars, met him and helped many of the patients from Cedars Motility Center with SIBO, IBS, and gut health. Through the years, um, I met Christina, um, my business partner, and together we all collaborated and brainstormed about this idea of taking the combination of nutritional science, um, the science that doctors have done both with their patients in the laboratories, the mast laboratory over at Cedars, experience i've had over the years now with thousands of patients helping them learn how to eat to help prevent SIBO recurrence and come up with this concept that we're currently promoting in books and on how to eat with a low fermentation diet you know i i'm so lucky and privileged and i say that with such sincerity that i'm able to work with bright smart intelligent thoughtful doctors Mm -hmm it makes. I'm always about a team approach. And ultimately, that's what helps the patient the most.
2: All right. Let's talk about the book, The Good LFE Cookbook, Low Fermentation Eating and SIBO, Gut Health and Microbiome Balance. SIBO meaning small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Did I get that correct?
0: Absolutely. You got that. All right. That was a mouthful.
2: I thank you. How did the idea come about to create this book?
0: So Christine and I um, have known each other and both love to cook, love to entertain for family and friends. And so there's this natural sort of organic way of talking about how can we create a book that we can reach a ton of people that don't wanna feel that they've been given a diagnosis and have to have restrictive eating. Both having had gut issues in the past and diagnosed with SIBO, we really wanted to create something fun Something enjoyable, easy meals that could be either for the family or for holidays, and take the foundation of the work that we've learned from the doctors, from Cedars, from patients on the low fermentation eating, and create this cookbook that is both aesthetically beautifully, as well as meals that range everything from a salad, a simple salad, a tricolore salad, to paella, to pizza that. Almost anyone can open up this book and look at meals or individual recipes and say, "I can do that." And so, what inspired me to write this um, and collaborate with the doctors and Christina is that at the time there hasn't been a book to date that specifically targets SIBO patients. And as I'm sure you heard from uh, Mark Pimentel and Ali Razai, you know how many people each year are diagnosed with IBS and SIBO as a subgroup. And so to have a cookbook based on their science that we've seen has helped specifically SIBO patients didn't exist. And so that was really one of the driving forces, as well as to share my passion. I'm a cook. I cook almost every night. My favorite thing is to have friends and family over and all cook together. So to be able to share what we've developed in this book is very, very exciting, to say the least.
2: You mentioned that you struggle with gut health. How do you do the research for the recipes?
0: Great question. So basically, there's a list of foods that, and ingredients that we encourage our patients to, and myself, because I put myself in the same category. And to digress just for one second, one of the reasons why I'm also so excited about this cookbook is for so many years, I struggled. And... I wanted to always learn, as the doctors learned, as the research came out, what foods could trigger some of the bacteria overgrowth from overpopulating and what foods kept it at bay. So both as a patient and know how bad it feels, and I can be relating to my patients as they're telling me how they feel when I say I get it, I'm authentic and say, I I know what you mean. So the research part comes in for the recipes in that once we have the foundation of what foods we know help prevent the sibo from coming back which means we want to eat foods that don't feed the bacteria in essence and then we know what foods are safe and what foods to avoid then the fun happens because then we can be incredibly creative by once we have a list we know what foods can go into for example a salad good example is we know that the bacteria don't like let's say and spinach so those would be two of the top lettuces, I might suggest to my clients, and therefore also in recipes for SIBO patients. If we know that the bacteria loves any kind of lentil or legume, I would make sure the recipes don't have that. So the testing of the recipes became easy because it was what ingredients go into the initial recipes, we'd have those lists on hand.
2: How long did the cookbook take to put together?
0: It's been in the making for four years.
2: Wow, four years, crazy.
0: Yeah, it was an idea, a concept. Christine and I brainstormed and test kitchens and testing meals, testing recipes. We both had kids and family members that would try things, um, see how we got the thumbs up or thumbs down. It's been a lot of fun um, and trial and effort.
2: If someone wants to approach you and had no idea where to begin to getting healthy, By using your book, how would you approach them? And in what way could they adapt this lifestyle easily?
0: So whether my clients have gut health issues or anything else, I always guide people how to eat a Mediterranean diet lifestyle. That's actually, I've been doing that for 10, 15 years. This book is very much parallel to Mediterranean diet eating. And then for SIBO patients, I just pull out the foods that we know fuel the bacteria. The reason why I say that is because the Mediterranean diet has been ranked, I think it's close to five years in a row now, as being the optimal way of eating to help prevent diseases to promote good health and longevity. And for me, that's optimal. I mean, I I never want to have tunnel vision when I talk to my clients um, who have gut health and only focus on what's happening with their gut. I actually want to get to know the whole person, any medical histories, family history, because you don't want to leave any stone unturned. So if somebody comes to me with that question, this book would give them the framework of a Mediterranean Diet like foods of fresh seasonal fruits, vegetables, produce, not packaged. Um, you don't want anything um, processed. And it could help anybody eat a long, healthy life for longevity. That's why this book can be really for anyone.
2: Okay, I got to ask do you have a favorite recipe?
0: Well, I love the paella, but it is a little um, complicated. The guir and pizza, uh, the guir pizza margarita. Um, I love pizza. And whenever I ask, my clients, what are their three favorite foods if they didn't have to think about nutritional, caloric, fat, or gut? I would say 90% of the time it's pizza. So that is definitely up there with with the top two. Um, I love the fish tacos as well.
2: So what's next for Robin Berlin?
0: Oh my gosh, so much more. Well, I think that with what I'm learning um, every day from what's happening in the world of microbiome, I think that there's going to be more tailored ways we can eat depending on what we learn on microbiome health. I think that we're just at the tip of the iceberg of our microbiome health disease prevention and as the doctors learn, we'll learn. And I think that there could be some really interesting ways to move forward with diet for different diseases, whether things like uh, Parkinson's or other autoimmune diseases or even within... Um, SIBO, we're now learning that a component, one of the gases produced methane down the road might have some different eating target and diets than somebody who has a different form of SIBO. So I think that for me, constantly learning um, is always fun. There's the geek side that goes to these conferences. I also would like to just get this message out. And if it means talking to larger groups of people and educating people when our gut works well, our bodies work better. And so the more people we can educate, I think that would be something really fun to do down the line.
2: As we begin to wind down this interview, what would be the best way for my listeners to follow your adventures and your journey online?
0: So I'm on Twitter at Robin Berlin RD, same as Instagram. I'm posting a lot more as well as Good Life Official. And we're all collaborating, just educating as many people as we can.
2: <laughs> posting... Posting more often sure does have its downsides, doesn't it?
0: I have no problem admitting my age. I'm 56, and I think the younger generation gets that social media so much faster oh. that, it, that it's a learning curve, I'll tell you that much.
2: I am my interviews with my favorite question, and the question is this. If the entire planet was listening to this broadcast, what would it be the one thing you want to say to the people of Earth?
0: It's profound at this current moment in time, because I would have said this three weeks ago, and I say it today, to love more and hate less. At the end of the day, really, it's what we all need to do.
2: I like that. The book is The Good LFE Cookbook, Low Fermentation Eating for SIBO, Gut Health, and Microbiome Balance, which will release on April 12, 2022. Available on Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, or wherever books are sold. Robin, thanks for taking the time and good luck with your book.
0: Thank you so much. Thanks for having me.
2: And just like that, Deval Nation, we come to the end of episode 51. I know I learned a hell of a lot today. There's no word of a lie there. I want to thank all of my guests for being so generous with their time today. I cannot wait to check out their books. I also got word this evening that the Good LFE team have decided to donate all proceeds, all profits, generated from both book sales throughout the entire month of April to the World Central Kitchen and the Ukrainian relief efforts. Very noble causes there, and we will have a link to buy both books on our website, DerekDeVallShow.com. We have another fantastic episode ready to go next week, so you will not want to miss that one. We're going to do something really out of our norm, and believe me, it's great. You're not going to want to miss it. Be on the lookout for another episode of Derek and Mindy's Fun With Movies coming very soon. And I want to get a little serious here. On behalf of the entire team here at Derek Duvall's show, I want to say to each and every one of you listening, you are loved. You are special. Suicide is a permanent solution to a very temporary problem. If you are having problems, reach out to someone. It can be a family member, a friend, a member of your church, or a teacher. Help is always out there. You just have to have the courage to reach for it. No Star, God bless and see you very soon. Planet Earth.
1: This has been a recording of the Derek Duval Show, and we thank you for listening. Please go to our website, Derekduvalshow.com for the latest news on downloads and to explore past episodes. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at Derek Duval Show.